The Lifestylist, Episode 10, featuring Eli Block. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This here episode of The Lifestylist is brought to you by Living Libations. Living Libations is an exquisite line of botanical beauty products, immune enhancing formulas, and potent dental serums for those seeking the purest of health and wellness products on the planet. Use the coupon code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and you will save 10% off your order. Living Libations is a company that I've been working with for years. I love their products. I use their face serums, creams, deodorant, dental hygiene products, the whole suite basically. It's a really great place to find individual as well as blends of essential oils. People always ask me, where do you get essential oils? There's a lot of really lame oils out there. Living Libations are top notch. I eat them, I put them on my skin, I make my own little formulae that I use in yoga class and everywhere else. So if you're interested in essential oils, Living Libations is a great place to start. So go to livinglibations.com, use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 10% off. We are about to keep it very real with another episode of The Lifestylist with your host, Luke Story from lukestory.com. Today's guest is Eli Block. And I'm speaking with Eli today about a practice known as orgasmic meditation. Yes, those two words just went together. It's a very interesting episode because we bridge the gap between sexuality and spirituality, which to some might appear from the outside as mutually exclusive. But I think you'll find by the end of this episode that there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Due to the subject matter of this particular episode, I would like to give you the following disclaimer. If you or someone nearby is easily upset by foul language and and very graphic talk about sex, this might be an episode to skip. If that disclaimer makes you want to listen to it more, then I think you're really going to enjoy it. But seriously, if you have kids nearby, uh, you know, we talk about pee-pees and poo-poo and a lot of stuff like that that might not be appropriate for certain audience members. That said, I'm really excited to bring this episode to you because sex is one of my favorite topics, and I think if we're all honest with ourselves, that we would probably agree that it's definitely something that could use some more insight and some more openness and some more honesty from all of us. And so this was one of those episodes for me when I was sitting here in the studio having the chat with Eli where something's about to come out of my mouth, and then this little voice says, fuck, Luke, don't say that. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Shit, I said it. You know, so for better or for worse, you're getting a very real, open, candid conversation between two men who are interested in exploring their consciousness and what it means to be human. So as always, I'd like to remind you to keep an open mind and be willing to explore your own humanity in this amazing episode with Eli Block. I'd also like to remind you that this is, in fact, episode 10 in our 10-day Lifestylist podcast launch series. And this, of course, means that we'll be ending our one episode per day release schedule and moving into a once per week. So you can look forward to episode 11 next week with Tony Wrighton 
as we discuss how to brainwash yourself using NLP. In the meantime, I'd like to tell you about the episode upgrade from this show and exactly how you can get it. The episode upgrade is all of the links and show notes and resources that I discuss in this episode with Eli Block. It's a lot to remember. We cover a lot of ground, so I've made it easy for you with the free downloadable PDF with tons of great links and resources for you for free. All you have to do to get it is this. Text the word LIFESTYLIST10 to the number 44222. That's LIFESTYLIST10 to 44222. If you want to get it in your browser, no sweat. Go to lukestory.com forward slash LIFESTYLIST10 and you will get an instantaneous download of this very useful free episode guide. And I want to let you know, once you get that guide, feel free to forward it to friends and family. There's a ton of great information in there, and it's yours to share. And you know what else would be awesome for you to share? This episode that you're hearing right now. So click on your screen somewhere and send a text or an email of this episode to someone that you love. And speaking of love, if you think you might love me or even like me a little bit, (laughs) jump over into iTunes and leave me a five-star rating and a review. It's a really great way to support me and my mission on The Lifestylist. Okay, so now that we've got all of that taken care of, let's go ahead and jump into episode 10, Orgasmic Meditation with Eli Block. Eli Block is a teacher, trainer, and lead orgasmic meditation instructor at One Taste. Born to a psychologist and a Zen Buddhist, he's been a meditator since childhood. As a deep lover of the feminine, he's passionate about realigning our understanding of gender, sexuality, and orgasm. Eli is a prolific speaker and was recently invited as a guest lecturer for Tony Robbins' coaching staff and also works with clients on a private level, coaching men, women, and couples on topics such as desire, sex, orgasm, intimacy, attraction, purpose, and fulfillment. He also coaches One Taste professional training and leadership track through all levels of orgasmic practice from novice to elite, both domestically and abroad. Welcome to The Lifestylist, Eli. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's really good to see you again. I saw you a couple weeks ago at Nicole's talk in Santa Monica, which was a catalyst to some new (laughs) awakenings that I'm having. So it seems like every time I see you, the prior time being at the Bulletproof Conference when I saw your a presentation there and it really got me thinking so i have a feeling today might start opening things up for me as well and of course everyone listening i'm, I'm delighted to be of service awesome awesome cool you know we're here today you're representing one taste mm-hmm. for those of you listening you're about to learn what that is mm-hmm. and you're a teacher and practitioner of something called orgasmic meditation which i uh recently was trained in and have been having some experiences with which have been nothing but positive as you might imagine, based on the name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I'd like to start out just kind of hearing from you how you got your start in life and you know your interest in spirituality and self-improvement and all of that. And, and how did you end up with the organization and, and becoming so involved in OM? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to tell you. Um, so I started out uh, as a young kid. Um, my parents met at a Zen Buddhist monastery in Northern California in the 70s. And my dad was a monk and my mom was uh, like a PhD psychologist working for the county, you know, kind of rolling hippie through the monastery. And um, my, I think they kind of caught each other's eye. And 
a, a now very famous teacher uh, who was my dad's best friend uh, and still is, uh, said, um, you know, they were just sort of like the monks hanging out there, said, hey, you should get her number, which was totally faux pas for a Zen Buddhist monastery and a couple monks, you know, where you're supposed to obey the rules and everything. And um, so he did. And he'd been there for about five and a half years. And they uh, got together and um, had me and my brother in Berkeley, uh, in uh, the Bay Area. And so I grew up with a lot of Zen Buddhism and a lot of Judaism. And I felt ever since I was a little kid, I had um, I had a I had a, a sense that with consciousness that I, I knew that my consciousness was something which could be um, tuned and honed and catalyzed in various ways. I experienced that at a pretty young age in meditation. And so I sort of feel, I felt like for a long time as a kid, um, I didn't really know what to do with it. You know, I, I would use it to sort of feel superior to other kids or I would use it to kind of um, <laughs> like try to have like a leg up, you know, and, it was like, it was like the force. <laughs> yeah, it was like the force, but like I did, you know, I had, I'm sure I, I pulled off a couple spiritual bypasses as a 10 year old, you know, in a few different ways, like, you know, no good, no bad. My feelings didn't get hurt. You know, I'm sure I, I'm sure I did all that. And at the same time, I was clear that I, I had, um, I had been tapped into something at a young age that, you know, would serve me for the rest of my life in some way. And, uh, fast forward to my teen years, I experienced um, and it's, you know, it's possible as a result of, of the meditation I did as a kid and sort of the, the mindfulness that I did as a kid, I felt a lot of internal pressure around my desire and around my sexuality. And I remember that the part of me, the intelligence inside of me was really awake from a young age. I remember being on the basketball court as a, as a kid in grade school and the, uh, grade school that I was at was about a block away from local high school. And the high school girls would walk down the street and I was, God, no more than like, you know, six, seven years old. And I remember standing there and I, we, me and my friends knew just where to be, you know, at a certain age to watch them stream down. And that little, that little part of me knew like, oh, I like her and not her, but I like her and her and her, but not her. Like there was an intelligence inside. But as I grew older, that, that began to feel more and more intense as I think a lot of people experience. And, uh, there was this intensity inside of me that I think um, in a way had been um, helped uh, woken up by the, by the Zen and by the, and by that, that environment, but also had been trained to be schooled to a certain amount of stillness with, that I, I was just not able to maintain. And it caused me a lot of problems. Specifically, I found myself with um, panic attacks uh, is that, you know, uh, on dates, you know, in, in, as a late adolescent and early adult, I would be on a date. I remember sitting there with a with a you know some beautiful woman, and listening to what she was saying and aha uh-huh and okay, and then noticing that I'd missed about five minutes of the conversation because my head was swimming, and I would have to go to the bathroom and like excuse myself and like throw up because it was so intense. And I went to a psychiatrist and he gave me some Xanax, and um, you know I remember his his catchphrase was yeah you know just nip it in the bud. You know, you start to feel all that discomfort, you know, all that friction inside. You can just nip it in the bud and take one of these. And I tried it, but the thing that I learned was soon after I tried it was that I did feel, I wouldn't say I felt better. I felt less. And it was, uh, it was interesting because I felt less and I didn't seem to be able to choose how much of myself I numbed out. And I was at that point willing to settle because it was either stay relatively sane 
in my sex life and it would get better over a few months. It wasn't like I was permanently stricken, but there was a certain degree of intensity, which I never felt like I could really tap into. So fast forward, I'm working for Apple in the Bay Area and, um, you know, and I was able to date like after, you know, a few weeks to a month or so, I'd start to feel more comfortable with, with a woman, but I wanted, there was a certain degree of, of, um, like I said, like intensity and, or sensation or, um, like, uh, aliveness that I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to experience. I would, I would kind of blow out, like I said, with the attacks. And then I was working at Apple and a guy who was a boss of mine, uh, at, at the Apple store was just terrible with women. He looked like Uncle Fester from the Adams family. And, um, you know, literally you put a light bulb in his mouth and he'd light up and he was just terrible with women. They would just like run screaming from his presence. Like if it wasn't, it never verbally, but energetically run screaming from his presence. And I watched him try all these things, all these prescriptions that I think men get told to try to get women, you know, which is like, um, uh, strategist, you know, they learn the whole playbook of how to be with women or, you know, uh, suave or kind of like a, a type A personality. Cause everyone knows women love to be dominated all the time, you know, and he tried all these things. None of it worked. And then one day he came in, there was just a little something different. It was like a, a moment from a movie where he walked through the front door of work. And I remember everyone kind of looked up and he kind of just sauntered in and it was just a little, there was a little confidence, a little snap, a little spring. And I was just like, whatever, you know, he's probably having a good day, but it started to change for him. And, you know, me being at the time, you know, significantly more arrogant, significantly more, uh, uh, aggrandized to myself, you know, I, this was threatening to my ego and my identity. And eventually he told me after a lot of pressing, uh, that he was doing a practice where he was stroking a woman's clitoris in a goalless way for 15 minutes, uh, and not getting anything like automatically reciprocated from that experience, but it was changing his life. And he was feeling a lot different, a lot better than he'd ever had in his whole life. He'd stopped drinking and all these other things were happening. Right. And he seemed to be getting more and more magnetic to women. And this gave me pause because I, I, I came from, you know, uh, my, uh, you know, somewhat elite spiritual upbringing and everything. And, um, this just sounded totally wackadoodle. And, I probably made fun of him a lot. And then eventually he took me to an event and it blew my mind. You know, the, 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 I remember walking through the door at my first one taste event and the people there were speaking about desire and sexuality and, you know, man, woman dynamics and gender and masculine, feminine and all these things. And it just felt electric. It just felt like the thing I kept trying to tap into that I couldn't tap into was in the air in this place and I could breathe it. And so I knew there was some way, there was some way that I was going to wake up by doing whatever it was they were doing there. And I learned about the practice and it was just at the right time where I could really understand. And it really made sense to me of why this particular format and this particular structure was going to help me. And so I started the practice and, you know, slowly but surely it, 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 did exactly what the person said it was going to do, who I talked to about it. It transformed all of that anxiety and those nerves and um, into something which was actually pleasurable into something, which I could feel all of the ambivalence and all of the feelings that I was having, but I was enjoying it. It was the difference between being inside a wave and getting tumbled, you know, through a wave in the ocean 
and bashed against the rocks and you know swept back under again and then bashed again like it was a difference between, between that and actually being on the surfboard like there was intensity but i had choice and i had power and i had um consciousness around what was happening and it changed everything how about that that's pretty good that's that's very concise uh it's it's interesting because you know i want to of course go into some of the mechanics because it's i think to people listening and to myself who have historically been very open probably to a fault in terms of sexuality and things like that um you know it's it's like like nuclear power you can you can blow things up or you can power a whole city it's it's absolutely true and and really you know for myself in recent years just through various circumstances have actually channeled a lot of that energy into business and creativity and just put it in other places where the first part of my life i would say you know it's fun but a lot of energy Mm -hmm. was squandered you know Mm -hmm. but what's interesting about the ohm practice coming from you as a man and having experienced you know one day like intensive training and then um experimented with it a bit um privately is that i i still because what like for, when i went to my first day of home people are giving their sort of testimonials of you know people that had been practicing this for a while mm-hmm. and the women are explaining things like jesus moments where mm. you know they're literally <laughs> like i you know i used to hate myself and was full of shame and you know i was just like perpetually full of anxiety and depressed i mean just pretty serious neuroses you know right well we call that tumescence okay which is just the it's just like um imagine uh if you uh had a a, a, some system or a vehicle or an engine that was just flooded with with gasoline that was just flooded with fuel at all times and so all kinds of places were like you, you would just breathe on it and it would ignite you know, or it would freeze. And that's, it's, it's sort of the same thing, but anyways, continue. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm listening to the women share their experience and the profound uh, impact of this practice has had on their lives. And I'm going, wow, God, I mean, I, you know, I've experienced that, but it's, it's taken me a long, long time and a lot of work a and, lot of yoga. And, and yeah, and just <laughs> so much help from so many teachers and masters. And I mean, just on and on. Uh, and these women are going, yeah, it's been six months or nine months or a year. And then having gone through the training of being being a man at that time, and it's relatively new to me mm-hmm. still, right? And it's, you know, that's something I haven't just delved so deeply into. But I, I kind of still walked out of there going, yeah, I totally get that mm-hmm. for a woman. But for the man, to me, it didn't seem to have that sort of transformational experience that you're describing, mm. you know? And I don't know if, if that's because, you know, I had already experienced so many levels of, of of surrender and experimentation and and freedom and i have never really been someone who had had really much anxiety around meeting women being with women relationships sex mm-hmm. other than in the area of commitment and you know a traditional relationship there's a lot of anxiety there sure. but not in terms so much of the the physicality the sensuality the sexuality i i think when i was sort of a teenager and in my early 20s i became sort of free with that and then throughout my 30s definitely very comfortable with that side of myself so what do you think it's been as a as a male about the experience where you know nothing's happening to you just Mm -hmm. to give you guys listening some insight you know that the man is 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 performing this well, I'll, act I'll describe the, the practice for a yeah there you go that'll that'll yeah. create the context because yeah, it's that, so it fascinating will. It to will. me and this is this is a great topic i'm glad we're talking about this and I'm, I'm happy to talk a little bit more about about what is actually happening to the stroker so um 
So the practice is is pretty simple. Um, a a woman, uh, or you know, we're we're gender fluid, we're gender neutral. Sorry, gender fluid at one taste, and the um, the the only qualification is that they have a clitoris. So if you have a clitoris, you are the strokey in this experience. Um, and you will take your pants off and lie down on a in w- inside what's what we, what we call a nest, which is basically like the equivalent of the yoga mat or the meditation cushion for those respective practices. But this is a little different. It actually encompasses both. <laughs> How about that? Um, which is a few pillows and a mat laid down. And so you undress only f- a woman undresses from the waist down, clitoris having individual from the waist down, and then a stroker which can actually be anyone, can be a a man or woman or other uh, gender fluid individual, sits down next to them uh, in a particular way, puts the left foot over the the strokey stomach and sits down on like a meditation cushion, wraps their legs, uh, uh, you know, very gently um, in a way that, you know, doesn't, it has a sense of containment, but it's not um, constricting in any way. And that person, person stays fully clothed and it's a 15 minute experience. So you set a timer for 15 minutes and there's a particular protocol by which the stroker strokes the upper left-hand quadrant of the strokey's clitoris for those 15 minutes in a very particular way. And, um, you know, there's uh, there's uh, no commerce is the other really big part of OM, which is that, you know, in most of our sexual conditioning, um, there's a sense of uh, uh, what we call like OZs, you know, or um, you hear in a lot of other sort of sexuality traditions um, which I would actually say Om is not really a sexuality tradition. It's more of a consciousness tradition. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, but there's a lot of like reciprocation, like, well, what about, you know, uh, being a good giver automatically means that you can be a, a possibly a good getter, you know? And that was the conditioning that I was brought up with was that if I was a man, I learned how to do something good for a woman then I might get something good in return. Kind of like putting a quarter in a gumball machine, you turn that sucker and and you're going to get a, a nice cherry gumball out the other side, you know, and I, I like to joke around, but it's true that there's almost a exchange rate. You know, it's like we know that, um, you know, uh, uh, 10 minutes of pussy time is, you know, roughly 17 and a half minutes of cock time. If you <laughs> if you look at the stock exchange, you can see how pussy and cock are trading. You know, it's just and and where does dinner and the quality and expense yeah, of that dinner exactly, come in, right? Exactly, right. And so yeah. and so, there's all these different variables, and and Ohm is is a way to have a really potent experience of connection, um, and see where all of the connection that we would want could conceivably become conditional upon reciprocation, or upon um, some sort of like romance, or uh, upon. Um, you know, uh, modifying any number of the conditions that Ohm is specifically designed in order to have both people feel like they can relax. Because that's really the purpose of it, is that there's a container to the practice, the time limit, the things that you do, um, the way that it's the same every time. It's not like a freestyle experience, because what we're hoping to do, what we are doing is reducing what's called vigilance. Vigilance is essentially how much active attention a human being needs to have on what's happening in their environment. That's a sort of standard definition. Um, hypervigilance is, is what's called when that attention um, feels like it's actually doing more for protection than just for simple maintenance, right? And so a lot of women that we talk to and a lot of men, frankly, in different ways, report, you know, very high levels of vigilance or hypervigilance. In other words, if you ever had an experience where you were having a makeout or some kind of sexual experience with somebody and you couldn't quite drop in. 
where you know there was a, a little voice running in your head that was like this person maybe this isn't the right person maybe um i forgot to uh, turn the stove off yeah i gotta do that or i got work tomorrow morning or whatever it was that that prevented you the kids the kids it's got we gotta make sure the kids are okay like whatever it is i've heard them all all the little voices that go through our head is is a manifestation of what we call vigilance right so the practice controls all these aspects in order for the brain to actually be able to settle down does that make sense Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, when the the first time that I did it outside of the actual class that I took, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I did my best to explain the process right. to, to the female partner. And actually the hardest part for her to under, and this is someone that I had been intimate with, right? But the hardest part for her to understand was that I didn't get anything back. Like she, she kept asking, wait, what then? And I go, no, there's no, then it's, then it's over and you right. put your pants on and that's, that's it. That's the game. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it, it was interesting because you know, what was trippy is I perceived and, you know, I have to kind of, in, you know, do a bit more inquiry with her, but I perceived that she was so unused to that lack of reciprocal, what's shocking. that word? Reciproca- it's shocking. What's the word? I'm Reciprocation. Word? Reciprocation. Thank you. That. It's like she couldn't drop in and really surrender because she couldn't even, her mind couldn't even comprehend that I wasn't trying to get a blowjob afterward or right. like whatever. Right. You know, there was no tit for tat, no right. pun intended. It was just like, I, I want to have the experience of, of connecting with someone and just right. opening up a part of myself. That's really that, well said. It, it was really interesting. It was an interesting observation. And, you know, that was the first time. And then, and then even when I asked her after, what was it like? She was like, it was cool. She just goes, it was just so weird that like I didn't have to do anything, and I went, "God, how fucked up are we?" That, right. That that's the yeah. system of commerce that we have sexually and in so many other ways, where like there's an there's an expectation to service. Yeah, and and I would say that um, not only is it an expectation of service, but when I hear women say that, um, so so women are like championship accounters, right? And if I knew that I was going to have to repay something, right? If I was going to, if I was going to quote unquote, receive a certain amount of pleasure and then I would be responsible for repaying that, I would imagine that there would be, well, I don't have to imagine because I've been in a situation where um, I would put a limit. There would be some kind of psychological, uh, you know, uh, a speed limit, so to speak, where um, above that point, I wouldn't want to continue the experience because it would be it would get so good that I wouldn't want to have the anxiety of having to give that back to somebody else because I don't know, I'm not sure if I'd be able to. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, like background, um, what would you call it? Like uh, uh, games. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of games that get played on top of commerce is, is insidious. You know. And so there's there's women who really notice that aspect of their psyche and then are like, well, you know, screw that. Like, I'm going to practice and I'm going to learn how to receive every single stroke, you know, regardless, because there's nothing to give back here. And in fact, the fun and this is the funniest thing about it is that the most pleasurable thing for a stroker to experience is when a woman fully receives a stroke. That's actually the thing that has own work. Is that the stroker is doing it a for their own pleasure and b the strokey is actually receiving it. You know, there's not going to be a whole lot shaking if if she's you know uh uh you know gripping to uh 
well, you can stroke me, but I'm not getting off, you know? <laughs> you know? Right. Well, you know, it's funny because as, as, you, as you're, as you're, t- yeah, right. The, 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 I think surrender is the operative word it here is. And, and creating yeah. a safe space in, for which that surrender to take place. Right. Right. Um, but you know what, what I'm hearing is reminding me of, you know, many years, um, you know, being a male, having a really high sex drive, wanting to have sex with a lot of women and, um, and beginning to understand how they operate. Mm-hmm. And in a sexual experience with a woman, knowing as things start to escalate, I would be able to intuit and feel when the brakes were about to slam on. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of, you know, this is like maybe in my early thirties when I was kind of getting my stride, you right. know, sexually and just in terms of dating and learning the game, so to speak, as not like a dumbass 22-year-old or whatever that's just horny and doesn't sure. know shit. So, I mean, I probably still don't know shit, but hey, yeah, you know, and, and I know a lot more than I used to. there's any horny 22-year-olds out there, you keep on going, baby. Exactly, you little Where, rabbits. Yeah, you get your beast on, baby. Do it. So, what what I started to to do as just kind of a practice if if it was you know the first date second date third date and you know i was at a certain point as i started to become more spiritually sensitive i didn't anymore necessarily want to have intercourse or any kind of penetration on the first date i wanted to i have some sexual pleasure maybe get off you know but not you know i i, I still wanted to get to know someone a little bit and i became more energetically sensitive but mm-hmm. when i went on a date like i don't know we're spending the whole night like i want to have some fun and i'm attracted to that person sure. so i started to do this uh-huh. thing where i would just say at the beginning of the date or maybe you know it's it's you know you went to coffee you got to dinner and then you get back to one of your houses and there's that moment like all right are you coming in are you bouncing and so I would just always kind of have this as part of my repertoire with not a lot of spontaneity, really. It was kind of just my set thing. And I'd yeah. say, well, you know, you can come in for a little bit, but I just want you to know we're not having sex. And these women would look at me like I'm fucking nuts. They're like, that's what I'm supposed to say. Uh-huh. And I'd say, no. I, You'd scramble their vigilance center. Totally, yeah. And I just, like, let's just have fun. And, you know, of course, I mean, if I'm really honest, I'm sure sometimes they did that knowing that that vigilance center would get scrambled and then we would yeah. end up having sex. But yeah. oftentimes we didn't. And there were many times that I was the one that did keep the brakes on, even if they wanted to go, because I kind of enjoyed that being in control in that way. But I got to say, I was hacking that vigilance center by just saying, dude, I get it. You just met me. You don't want to feel used. You don't want to feel like a slut, whatever your programs are. You don't know if it's safe. I get it, but let's just have fun and relax and just chill and be grownups. Uh-huh. We just had a great but then, day. But then you would, but then you would notice that you you could have the potential to unlock something even deeper. Right? Well, yeah, that, yeah. That that when that when there when there was some when there was some sex to be had, it was probably off the hook, right? Yeah, it was off the hook. Yeah, because we had you know mutually consented to wait for whatever period. Well, can I give you a different viewpoint on? Yeah, that? Yeah, please, because I'm. This cause, is when I, I was think, I was I totally think, flying blind, dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I totally forgot that I'm I even used to kind of do this. I'm gonna give you a different viewpoint. So so um. Because this ties into what's in it for the stroker. Okay? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Actually, back, back to that. Because what what I'm going to do, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, I'd like to actually join two wires in your psyche which were not previously joined. Thank you. I okay. need a lot of them connected. Yeah. So this is what we're going to do. So, um, Jesus, where do I even start with this? Okay. So there's a basic conditioning pattern that that we find is very prevalent you know obviously i'm not going to make the generalization that's everywhere everybody but it's it's pretty damn high um which is that men tend to be stuck in the position of reaching when it comes to sex and women tend to be stuck in the position of retracting okay 
So another way you might say that is that the truth is, or it's like semicolon, women are not frigid, men are irresistible. Okay, so men are stuck in the position of reaching, women are stuck in the position of retracting. Women aren't frigid, men are irresistible. Okay, and again, this is like super heteronormative way of putting it, and you can apply all this to the masculine and feminine as well. Okay, so, um, you know that feeling when, uh, have you ever had a woman try to fuck you when you're, can I say fuck on your podcast? You can say whatever you want. Have you ever had a woman try to fuck you? <laughs> the purpose of this podcast is to be anti-PC and Great. honest. For, awesome. For fucking once. I'm so sick of PC. Okay. <laughs> so, um, when, when you've got like a quarter hard on. Yeah. And it's kind of. Half like a chubby. Half a chubby or, or, or even like a skinny chubby. And it's like, it's like. <laughs> You can't really get the condom on, you know, and it's like, it's just like, you kind of have to stuff it in there, kind of like a, like a a sleeping bag and like a stuff sack. And it's like one (laughs) painful moment after the next. And then you're finally inside, but it's still kind of limp. And it's like, this is okay. But like, wouldn't it be great if we had a soft cocks are awesome and soft cocks are real sensitive. It's nothing, no shame on a soft cock. And you're trying to do a certain thing with it, right? It's not going to go super well, right? You've had this experience? Yeah. Okay. I mean, no, 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 never. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll go first. I have. (laughs) It's not, take my word for it. It's not so much fun. Absolutely. And um, women oftentimes have that experience, except it's with their desire. So a woman's desire works in the same way. You might think of their sort of analogous structures as, as a, as a hard cock, as far as like something which can get fully erect. Right. And so, Oftentimes, uh, women have the sex they have with like a quarter erect desire, let's say. God, that's horrible. Right? But one of the things that allows a woman's desire to come out further is when the target, so to speak, you in this case, moves back, doesn't move forward in reach, which is the normal thing they're expecting, which means that they would retract, right? But you actually take a step back. And you allow that desire to come out, right? If you almost imagine sort of like a lightsaber or something like, you know, like come out and then you take a step back and it can actually reach out to get you. And I'm making a reaching motion towards him right now, right? With like a claw in my hand, <laughs> right? And so it's like you take a step back and then that thing in her goes, oh, you're not going to come in and try to get it. And she's like, oh, and what that does is it, it, it wakes up the hunter, like it wakes up the it wakes up the um, the predator in there, right? And then all of a sudden you become the prey, instead of the the sort of constant defense against the predator, which most women usually experience in, in our culture, right? And so effectively, what you do, which I think is what most men have to realize, and I'm, I'm writing a book right now, and this is one of the basic premises of the book, is that um, yeah, men have to learn how to penetrate women physically. That's a, that's an important thing. And you have to learn how to be porous enough that a woman can penetrate you energetically. That's actually what feels really good is when a woman's desire is fully extended and you're directly in its crosshairs, it feels like you're inside of a sauna, like an energetic turn-on sauna. 
is that she's just stroking you practically, and it's sort of cheesy to talk about, but practically with her energy, she's able to stroke you. I experienced that very recently. Yeah, right. I, I, I describe that as like, when a woman enters, it's almost like they enter another dimension. They're not even, they're there. What? Yeah, it's called the fourth dimension. They're so there yeah. that they're not there. Right. Right. And then, right. and then I know, I mean, just, I'll just be frank. This was actually last night yeah. that I had this experience. And, you know, it's something that's happened many, many times, but I become more acutely aware of it as I become more sensitive to something other than the fact that my dick is like inside someplace cozy. Right. It's like, no, there's something much bigger going on. So well, I, I totally get that. If you're, you know, I think, and we call this, so we call this thing, we call it empathetic orgasm. Okay. It's empathetic orgasm. And I would say that for a, for a guy who's actually um, well-tuned to women's responses, um, you start to lose control over where, whether or not your cock does get hard. That it will only start to get hard when she's genuinely turned on. You know, and so there's a lot of guys who start oming, and after they start oming for a while, they're like, what the hell is going on? What are you guys doing to this whole experience? And, and it's not that they're losing anything, but the truth is that they're actually becoming responders. They're, they're, they're becoming, they're, they're, their bodies are getting back into right response. Right, that 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 if a woman's body is actually turned on, that's going to be emanating that energetic, empathetic orgasm, which in turn is going to turn us on. It's gonna it's gonna activate that part in our body, and we're gonna we're gonna be in response. You know, there's um, rhesus monkeys. You know, travel hundreds of miles. You know, when the women when the female monkeys go into estrus, they can just smell it on the wind. You know, that there's a there's a call and response thing that happens here. That is so delicious and so um, so exquisite in a way that it starts to get rid of a lot of the ideas we have about function or dysfunction, you know, when it's just call and response and the effectiveness of that. But back to what we were talking about as far as like what the stroker gets out of it, right? So one of the things that, that we've discovered, I think is, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, is that. If a woman is thinking to herself, I'm going to have to reciprocate or whatever it happens to be, or, you know, her vigilance is activated. And then, frankly, when that happens, she cannot let go. The, the, it's the definition of not letting go. She's holding on, right? She's holding on to control. Pleasure, by definition, happens in the out of control. You've got to let go a certain amount to have some pleasure. That's why, you know, spa commercials and everything. It's like, come to the spa and like, let go. We'll handle everything. It's because that's actually what it's like to let go of control right? So I have this theory that, um, well, how about this? So we have technology that's, you know, there's tons of technology in the room that we're sitting in right now. Technology has evolved tremendously to do lots of great things in our culture. One of the things that it hasn't done very well is uh, provided us better means to experience true human to human nourishment specifically like in the dating and sex category let's say so when a man is say your typical joe blow right you know census right there bang right in the middle right he has an absence of a partner and he's he grabs for something to some conveyance of technology to help him find sexual satisfaction what do you think the average man is going to use technology to do to get some sort of sexual satisfaction I'm blank. It's not a trick question. Like if you go, if you want, if you go on the internet, if you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, I don't have an actual live woman here," but oh, I, oh. I want to, but I want to get off. What am I going to do? Porn. Porn. Right. Yeah. It's it's a no brainer. Yeah. Right. 
And so, okay, so what is porn? You know, porn is a image of a woman getting off, right? In some experience. Again, this is like the typical heteronormative version, right? But it's a woman getting off. There's some kind of pleasure. She's out of control. Sometimes sometimes we like it when, you know, she seems to be not in control, but out of control, maybe a little fussy out of control or who knows what, but she's out of control and she's enjoying at least some aspect of it, right? Maybe even in spite of herself, but that's porn, right? But we get it over this, you know, these copper wires that come into our house. And then from the copper wire, it flows into a modem, which is a set of circuit boards which transmits a little electrical signal. And then it goes into a computer, which is like a liquid crystal display and a speaker system. And it's, it's not a real person there. It's a collection of doodads, right? And so we watch this thing and we watch this image of the thing that conveys to us. And it's an image, right? We're watching an image play out. But there's no actual human being, right? But we've got access to hand-on-cock all day long. we got as much hand-on-cock as we want forever, right? I could die with my hand on my cock. I got that much of it, right? So, but we know that if it was all about climax, we'd never leave the house, right? If, if there was no need for any kind of other connection, we'd never leave the house, right? Okay. So fast forward over to women. So uh, if a woman has the same situation as a man, oh, I'm home alone and I have a partner, right? But mm, I want to get off. What is she going to grab for? It's the simplest. It's another to- type of technology. <laughs> right. But w- w- which is what? A vibrator. A vibrator. Yeah. You got it. You're batting a thousand. There we go. Right. And so a vibrator is the, is the uh, uh, technological stand-in of choice for women. Right. And it's interesting because we as men have this access, perfect access to what we call direct orgasm, hand on cock, no problem, right? Uh, highly nuanced uh, experience of hand on cock, right? Physical. Women are actually fine on the energetic part of it, but they're grabbing for the physical, right? We don't need a physical aid. We have our physical. We're, we're grabbing for the visual energetic aid. Women are grabbing for the physical aid, Right. And if you look at a couple other stats, it's interesting that um, five, I think somewhere like I, I used to say five out of sec, five out of six, but I think now it's more like seven out of eight. I, I saw a World, World, World Health Organization article a while ago, seven out of eight sex workers in the world are women. They are biologically female. Okay. Um, and, you know, if you look at strip clubs, like, you know, most strip clubs are, are women, right? Uh, performing, quote unquote, for men. So... Women, if you look at this, what I see is that women are really good at getting sensation into other people's bodies. They're really good at at lighting up other people's bodies with feeling, right? But they're not very good at getting feeling into their own bodies. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see where you're going with this. I'm into it. Right? And so what you need... In order to have a true experience of woman in pleasure, which is gonna, which is gonna emit, which is gonna actually uh, give that empathetic orgasm off that we've already discussed, you need her to feel safe. She's got to feel like the environment is such that it can totally, she can totally let go and experience whatever there is there to experience because she's also in hands more capable than her own, right? So in order to do that, you might want to create an experience where commerce wasn't allowed. You might want to create an experience where there was no shred of um, someone doing something for her that would imply she would do something for some for somebody else. You wouldn't want to have a situation where she'd have to watch the time, 
where, you know, if it went too far or if it went too long, she'd have to keep one eye open, you know, to, to you know, monitor the time. You'd need it. You want it contained with a clock, right? You'd want there to be certain rules that every single time she did it, her body and her mind could adjust more and more and more to what was happening so she wouldn't have to manage or be vigilant around the environment at all. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And so what I would say is, you know, for me and a lot of other strokers is that I started this practice and most of how I knew to get connection was through sex. It was like I saw a woman that I liked. I felt something about her that I liked. And I was like, man, I like that. I want to get inside. Right. The thing I didn't realize was that most of the time now, now I get it. But most of the time that I like what, what's going on with the woman, it's because I like her inside of me. And Ohm started to have me experience more and more that if I was stroking and if I was holding the solid container, as we say, not, not trying to cut any corners on this, on the experience, that there was a feeling that I got almost a hydration that I didn't find I got in sex very often. It was the thing I was hoping, like I had really good sex one out of 10 times like this, that the next day I just felt hydrated. I felt like my whole system had been bathed in something, um, you know, really exquisite. Like my brain had been lined. It's like it's like the effect that I think most uh, like vitamin supplement people are hoping that their, you know, that their takers are gonna are gonna have, which is actually a biological birthright. And I think that there's a there's a um, certainly a place for all those things, but really. The, the fundamental biological feeling that I have of like um, quiescence and safety and um, uh, all, all being well and hyper-focus and all those, I find that in orgasmic meditation. That's very interesting. Because I was, I was sort of coming at the male benefit from the place of, which was I see now uh, sort of much more shallow and limited, <laughs> of the helper's high. You know, it's like oh. so much of my, you know, spiritual practice right. has been just without any strings attached whatsoever, just helping people yeah. in, in whatever way that I can. And That's stage one. If you you're, know? you know, if you're depressed, you have self-pity, you have anxiety, you feel like shit, like the fastest way out of that totally. is to like meet someone and go, hey, where are you at? Tell me about your problems. Right. What can I How do can to I serve help? You? How can I be of service? Yeah. And, 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 and I, there's a real high in that. But like what you're talking about is... So it's a much, much deeper. Well, level, it, it is, it is. And I also, I want to say to what you're saying that the, the thing which that has in common with this is that, you know, like 90% of our self-absorbed thoughts are negative. <laughs> you yeah. know, if our attention's on ourself, chances are we're not singing our own praises. You know, we're, we're pointing to places where we could be doing better or faster or whatever. And this is, you know, this is the age old, you know, uh, 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 line of of spirituality and 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 meditation is like you know you're getting you're 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 prying your attention off of yourself whether you're putting on your breath or you're putting on your body in yoga or whatever you're doing just get it off of yourself for christ's sakes right and um i'm actually a huge subscriber to what you just said you know that that um you know do some service you know if you're feeling if you're feeling fucked up or you're feeling you know, down on yourself, like chances are it's because your attention's on yourself, not because yeah, there's totally. actually anything wrong, you know? And, and I think there's a similar crossover point here, which is that as a stroker, if I 
go into the experience self-absorbed. Like what's in it for me? You know, like what am I going to get stroke for stroke? Am I going to get something back stroke for stroke? I'm I'm never going to find a thing I'm actually there to find. Um, or that part of my brain is just going to have to burn out. You know, in the ho- in in the in the trivial pursuit of of finding it. You know, that there could possibly be uh, uh, some uh, right reciprocation that I'd know and be able to recognize, and then things would be equal, right? Um, and that part of me could be satisfied. And, and the truth is, this is the I think this is the other this is the other terrible truth of the whole thing, which is that. Um, if you're with a woman, if you're with a turned on woman who's actually wanting to do the work of dismantling her own conditioning, which man, that shit is wily. We've been just talking about on this, on this, you know, I've been had and, you know, duped not by the woman, but by the program, you know, that's running between us, you know, where she's like, oh yeah, like, let me do something back for you. And then makes it equal. And I'm like, oh shit, I fell for that one again. You know, that, um, uh, That if if our attention is so focused on ourselves, we're dead. Like we're just done for. That she will have played a game. There will be a game that we will have failed. Like if our attention is on what's in it for us, like that woman that you were talking about, right? And she's like, you know, uh, uh, let's say there's because we sort of hinted, but there's a there's. If you're listening, we're not talking exactly about you, but we're talking about a pattern which we see a lot in women and in men in different ways. Um, which is that people will test you as hard as they can while they're still in control so that they know that when they go out of control, you're going to be able to handle shit. Right. And it's the same thing. They're, they're hoping this is, I, I talk about this in my men's program that I teach at one taste is like, they're, they're hoping that we both fail and succeed for totally different reasons. We're hoping that we, they're hoping that, that we take the bait, you know, uh, in order to prove um, that we couldn't handle the real thing, we couldn't handle if they really let all the way go. That we were gonna, we were willing to take that consolation prize and take some, take some easy ass, right? And then that's where we, that's where our attention ended, so to speak, right? Versus like, no, you actually don't have to do anything back, and I'll see you, you know, next week for our own. And then she's just like, oh shit. Like, I can't get this guy drunk on my reciprocation. I can't get his attention off of me in these various ways. Like, and then, you know, it's funny. I was just coaching uh, this guy. I was coaching. This is a common thing. This guy tells me, um, I give my wife a compliment, a genuine compliment. And then within four hours, she takes a swipe at me every single time, you know, and he's like, oh, then I get all mad at her and everything. And I'm like, oh, well, the reason she's doing that is because um, that's the way that you're sure to get your attention back on yourself. Is that you have attention on her, you gave her a compliment, and then there's something which might, maybe you guys are in the middle of some kind of intimacy bump in your relationship, and she'd rather, you know, basically it's the equivalent of taking a bone and being like, see this, see this, see this, and then throwing it over a fence. And the dog running around the fence to go get the bone, and when they come back, the owner's gone. You know, it's the same exact thing. It's like, see this, this is your ego, right? Bam! Right. And then we're like, oh, God, this is I'm a terrible person. and I fucked up and whatever. And then she's just like, whoo, that was a close one. Almost had someone really make it all the way in here. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. Wow. Interesting. So much to take in. So, God, there's so many different directions we could go here. And I have, you know, 
we of course have a finite amount of time and I have, you know, I, I, for those of you listening, I have a little a whiteboard on, on the wall. And before I do an interview with someone, I always take a look at it and just kind of glance over there in case there's a moment where we don't know what direction to go or get stuck. But then there's times like this where it's like, I'm going, shit, I'm more watching the clock and like there's a million different directions I want to go. But I just have to ask this because it's something I wonder about from people that are, you know, enlightened in terms of sex and intimacy and especially men because I find a lot of men aren't tuned into this. And I'm going to just totally go off on another track here. But we started to go into pornography, right? Mm -hmm. You, you, You know, you just mentioned that. And... This has been something I've felt in my life has been a huge block in intimacy and relationships. And and as time goes on, I mean, this is going back 10, almost, God, probably 15 years where that's just becoming something that just doesn't work for me. Not mm-hmm. work like it doesn't get me off, it gets right. me off just fine. But there's like serious personal repercussions energetically. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's there's a temptation there, and I go, eh, what the hell? It'll be it'll be fine this time, and I it'll in, be fun. I, I indulge, and right. then like invariably, the next day I'm totally drained energetically, irritable, um, self loathing. I have this sense of shame, and it's it's uncanny. I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's like, oh, I know it's coming, right? And every once in a while, I make a conscious alert responsible decision that i i want that pleasure and i'm totally willing to fucking pay the price right but what's trippy about it and i you know i do talk to my close friends about this and guys that are kind of on the same level as me and we're you know we have the same sort of spiritual pursuits and stuff that it has nothing at all to do with a sense of shame because of a morality issue i have no problem with people fucking on film fucking people of whatever sex like do whatever you want right i I don't think there's anything morally wrong with it i've made pornos like almost (laughs) Yeah, almost even professionally a couple times. I mean, I've like I've experimented a lot and allowed yeah. myself to be very free. So I'm not ashamed of any kind of sexuality. And yeah. and I think um, you know, on on a level of morality, pornography is great as long as it's consensual and everyone wants to do it and make some money and do whatever. Hey, good for them. But there's so many layers to you know uh, to the the energy of it. And and I'd like to share my perception on what sure. it might be and just to see if you have any insights. Sure. Uh, one thing is that it is the energy of the people doing it, the energy of the people selling it mm-hmm. typically is of a lower consciousness. So in my personal life, I'm really, really picky about the people that I spend time with. Not that I'm better than them because I'm more spiritual or some bullshit like that, but I don't hang around people that are inherently angry, jealous, uh, you know, a lot of anxiety, people that are neurotic, people that complain, people that are just fucking toxic to me. They might not be toxic to themselves, but they're toxic to me. So I'm just constantly refining my my um, requirements in terms of who I spend time with because I just can't afford to deviate from my energetic path. So mm-hmm. I've looked at the the porn thing and it's I think it's just the energy of what's coming off your computer or your phone or whatever is like of a lower vibration than say, you know, listening to some classical music or mm. watching a video on YouTube of a great spiritual Never teacher. Heard that, beating it to classical. <laughs> Give it well, to no, remote, I don't mean in the context of sex. I just mean pornography to me is just not that not that higher consciousness yeah, or higher vibration is better not, but it's not to be sh- not to be spiritually elite yeah or chakra classist as nicole likes to say but it's just you yeah. know it's lower so there, so there's that piece then there is 
just something biologically so fucking unnatural in terms of our evolution because when did any male human being have the opportunity to thumb through you know <laughs> 500 sex acts in 20 minutes or right. how many naked women can you see or how many ejaculations how many points of entry how many points of um of penetration would one see in their own lifetime you know it's totally. like you just it's just un it's it's unnatural and it's 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 also a much more intense form of stimulation where if you were with one woman, I mean, to get to that point where you could um, reach such a high state of excitement, yeah. I mean, it might not even happen like that with every woman, but if right. you if you have good taste in porn, you know, your personal preferences, and you go down that rabbit hole, I mean, you can reach a really excited state and you could reach it multiple times if you had kind of an addictive right. propensity, you know? Right. so. So and then and then the other the the other thing that I've identified is that it sort of to me seems like it's it's putting one back in a really immature sort of ego state and as a male I mean when you first discover your cock and that if you touch it stuff happens uh, and even for me I was born in the 70s so I literally remember when like behind the green door and deep throat came out on Betamax yeah like I was into porn in 1978 when I'm right. like seven, eight years old, you right, know what I'm saying? Right, so right. I'm preconditioned to that. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not natural, you know, it's, it's not a it's not a natural kind of, um, um, method of excitement. So, you know, those are a couple of my observations because it's something like I go, shit, I, I wish I could do that, but I can't. People, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I go, no, I know there's nothing wrong with it. Right. It's just wrong for me. Now, I could have sex with someone and feel amazing, but oh, I know. I'm sorry, dude. Let me digress. So where I was going with that is is that that infantile sort of ego state, that little kid, right? And so when you're a kid and you discover porn or, or even masturbation, you have to shut the door, right. you shut the curtains, you turn the sound down on whatever. Right. You, you're hiding. Right. You know, there's there's just an inherent hiding right. and a shame because it's not socially acceptable. Your mom can't walk in and be like, oh, hey, what's up, Luca? Nothing, just rub one out real quick, be right, right with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you, there's this whole ritual involved. And I think inherently with that hiding of one's own sexual relationship to themselves is like this piled on shame so if i you know were to watch porn it's like maybe the next day i go into you know the juice spot or something like that and there's a pretty girl behind the counter i'm not thinking consciously oh i'm a loser i'm a pervert i'm a creep because i watched porn last night right. but i gotta tell you i feel differently about my sense of self and who i am right then had I not done that. And right. so for me, it's become a real hot stove where it's just like, ow, fuck. Yeah. Nope, don't want it, can't touch it. And yeah. uh, it's not to say that I've completely eliminated it from my life, but I would really, really like to sure. uh, get to the point where it's just not even negotiable. Like for me, smoking cigarettes is like that. Yeah, I'm not going to fucking chew tobacco, take a hit of a cigar, take an e-cig. Like I do not touch nicotine yeah. because I know when I touch it, it's just everyday thing. And uh -huh. now pornography and sex isn't really like that for me, like yeah. the addictive component to that degree. But uh, I'd like to be in a place where it's just like, oh no, dude, that's like kid shit. I'm I'm kind of past that. So what what's your take on men and pornography? Yeah, it's a good, it's a great it's a great question. And I really I really appreciate how you made the distinction between like what's what's you know moral immoral and then also what's effective and effective. You know, I think that's actually a really um, that's always a really good uh, sign. I think when someone's when someone's thinking about it at that level, which is which is basically what I heard. 
Um, and so, you know, um, I, I have to be honest, I don't entirely remember who did this study. It might have been Rutgers because they have an, a great orgasm lab there. But I know that there was a study done that basically says that um, uh, porn activates the same part of the brain as um, like accomplishment, you know, as as a sense of like, um, I can't remember the exact word that they use, but basically it's like you scored a goal, you know, that 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 feeling of like hitting like seven, seven, seven on the on the on the slot machine or something like that. It's like ding and all the lights go off and it's like you've you've accomplished something and you're 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 accomplishing something you know in a certain way and that has dopamine uh basically like flood your brain right and then uh you know we know that if you use uh, a lot of dopamine in in certain ways and you don't generate a lot of dopamine then you end up feeling depressed and hung over and and you know like a piece of gum on the bottom of a shoe right and so uh when I think I'll tell you my 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 take on it is um well and so uh the part of the brain I was gonna finish that the part of the brain is is the same part that um when you have total control. It's like when you have total control, when you're accomplishing something, it's like that's that's ultimately what's uh, the part of the brain that's firing and dopamine is flooding everywhere, right? So it's a super rush in the moment. And then afterwards you're kinda like Ooh, and then now what? It's kind of like the world just kind of feels a little flatter, right? You feel a little bit less sensitive. And there's an experience that I think is possible when we're with a, a partner where we feel out of control. And we're actually letting go of control more and more and more. And that's where that that word surrender comes in. You know, that we that we I think we touched on earlier is like, you know, for me, um, the power position in sex is it, we've, we've been told our whole lives in, in our culture that it's the fucker, you know, the one who can do it, the, the, and the, the, you know, who can really do the woman who can do the thing, who can do the lawsuit, who can really fuck you, fuck me, fuck you asshole. You know, like there's a whole, I'm going to be the fucker, you know? And, and, um, Nicole has this great video on our YouTube about, how really in our culture the power position is the is the fucked or the in, in orgasm in the world of connection um it's the one uh it's the one who's actually in the deepest surrender is the one who's um got the most power in any given moment and that's been my experience with with my own sex life which is that when i'm trying to do too much and control the experience my consciousness gets narrower and narrower my perception because i'm ultimately like pleasure is a tricky thing pleasure is a really tricky thing it sounds like it's really simple but it's actually not um people say oh just do do the pleasurable thing all the time well the issue with that is that the more the more you just seek pleasure everywhere you go the narrower your preferences are going to get so you seek pleasure it's like you see this with 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 drug addiction and you know it's possibly one of the best or porn you know just look at porn is that the more you go into it the more you seek pleasure in its in its purest purest form you've got to find that thing in 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 all of these either lots of variation or you know lots of different um uh uh, uh lots of uh, uh diverse stimuli 
right? You need a you need to either consume a lot in order to get the same result. That's usually what it, what it looks like. Is that you? It's you like have, a tolerance. It's like a tolerance. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm not doing the best job of describing that, but it's like you know, um, a perfect example: uh, ice cream cone. Right? The first lick of the ice cream cone, heaven. Right? Thirtieth lick, not quite as interesting. You get to the bottom of that thing, you're kind of like, I'm eating this because I still have it, but I could toss it right now and I'd probably be fine, right? But that first leak is like, give it to me, baby. You know, it's, it's the bomb. And so it's like you 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 need to start using, if you're looking just for pleasure, you need to, to stack on uh, 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 more and wider range, right? To start to even get the same results, right? Because, and the same thing with vibrators. You know, women experience this all the time is, is like you start out with a vibrator that's a little rabbit you know in your 20s just a little rabbit and then by the time you're 40 you've got the the yamaha that like plugs into the wall you know the 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 the, the, the mitsubishi you know that's very true in fact i i have noticed women that have a strong propensity toward vibrators do graduate up and and i remember one particular instance where you know, this girl's a bit kinky and she showed up with her whole like bag of tricks. She had like her whole little, I'm going to get laid kit. Yeah. And like the first thing she bust out is one of those giant back massagers, you know, with like the ball on the yeah. end. I mean, it's, it's fucking knock you out if you like put it yeah. on your forehead. I mean, right. it really, really vibrates hard. And what was interesting and she was like, yeah, this is my thing. I'm like, oh, okay, isn't that going to hurt? We could just get a drill and put a sock right. over it. I mean, like, <laughs> um, but what I noticed was like, she was so desensitized, yeah. you know, and so disconnected physically that yeah. it was like, I'm going, what am I even, I'm, I'm not even needed here. No matter right. what I do, like, I'm never going to measure up to this, you know, right. black and decker thing right. that she's, <laughs> she's busted out. So I, well, I totally, and, I know and, you, what you and someone's got to hold that fucking thing the whole time, you know, it's like, they're, they're, you can't let go in an experience like that. You know, you're, 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 you're just, you're stacking control on top of control. You know, in an ohm, in an orgasmic meditation, we say, uh, increase attention, not pressure. You know, in, in the moment where you can't feel what it is you want to feel, increase attention, not pressure. And so, because um, that, that's also how nerve endings work, is that if you if you are hitting nerve endings really hard, they they actually contract. And so you need heavier and heavier implements to get the same response that you did, you know, 20 times ago. So the alternative is what's called, uh, for the alternative from pleasure, pleasure's... Uh, uh, pleasure's uh, a cousin who went to med school uh, is called enjoyment. And you can hear in positive psychology, um, what's the guy's name? Chitsun Mihai? Chitsun uh, Mihai? Chitsun Mihai? The, the guy who wrote the, the book on flow? Anyways. Oh, yeah, I have it over here. I've never been able to pronounce it either. I, I tell people about that book, and I'm like, just like, it's called Flow. I don't know. Yeah, it's called <laughs> That's Flow. That's the only right? part I remember. Screw yeah. the, screw the, yeah. yeah. We love you, dude. And I think it's at the University of we'll, Chicago. We'll find it, you guys, and we'll put it in the show notes. Exactly. So, um, you know, basically, there's there's this notion that um, uh, uh, enjoyment is uh, what actually creates a sense of fulfillment. Enjoyment is actually what increases your range to experience pleasure. You know, and th actually, this is where I think um, really, you know, quality BDSM actually does this for people in a lot of ways where um, pain is actually um, for most people uh, just a, 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 a degree of pressure. You know, but the line between pleasure and pain is, is just a moderating of, of pressure, you know, 
And so you can go up the scale with that, you know, so you can, you can learn how to feel something which is oftentimes painful as pleasurable, right? You can also go down the scale to the little keys on the, on the piano, which is what Ohm does, and actually learn how to sensitize yourself past whatever you thought was possible, you know? But what it involves doing is, is not necessarily choosing. You're choosing to be in an experience, but you're not choosing exactly what's happening. In other words, like a vibrator on a clit, like pushing in and you know doing all the things that you have control over creates a narrower and narrower range of experiences you can have every single time, you know, versus um, someone else actually paying attention to how it feels with their finger on a clitoris um, and stroking for their own pleasure means you don't have a woman doesn't have control over her stroker, which she has control over. The only thing I think we actually have control over in this entire life is our response to stimuli is that when the person cuts you off in traffic, do you have a conditioned response or do you have, you know, are, are you able to start with love? Basically, you know, when when you come home and, you know, uh, your windows broken in your in your, you know, do you have a conditioned response or do you have or do you, can you actually start from a from a, a less reactive place? Not to say you shouldn't have feelings. All these things are true. And I think that a lot of the uh, slavery that we're in, um, the reason that we do meditation practices, the reason, the reason that we want to expand consciousness is so that we're not at the whim of the programs that say we have to respond in a certain way in our minds. And um, this uh, uh, being stroked and stroking in a way is the inverse, has the inverse effect on a person um, as a lot of the things that we're told are good for us that actually end up decreasing the range of our responses. How about that? Absolutely, yeah. And I can see how mm, this practice has a way of changing or reprogramming the way in which you're able to respond to the world. Like in practices that I've taken on meditation and otherwise, they've actually changed my first reaction right. to stimuli. Right. They, I've been changed. Like right. my my char- the characteristic of who I am as a personality, as an entity, um, a- as my uh, level of identification and motivation from ego has actually been changed through spiritual right. practice, which is same thing, which is fantastic. It's like I had an experience the other day and <laughs> it was one of those where, <laughs> you know, I learned from a spiritual teacher years ago that if you, if you have an opportunity to really serve and then you, um, you go tell people about it and, and your ego co-ops that opportunity and starts to brag about what an awesome guy you are, that you've just negated the karmic benefit of that. So I, I've practiced <laughs> for years, like I, I do all kinds of shit and I don't tell anyone because it, it's just so sweet to keep it to myself. You yeah. know, you help the little lady cross the road. You don't go fucking brag about it on Twitter or whatever. But I, I had this experience the other day and it, it was such a clear indication that I was just like, so proud is not the right word because that's just kind of a lower energy but i was so fulfilled? Gr- i was so grateful and fulfilled because my primary reaction to a situation was so fucking on point and and so i wasn't i didn't want to tell anyone about the experience but you're like yes because i was like such a I, w- I was such a hero and i was literally like that guy that if they interviewed people on the news he'd be like i don't know we were really scared and then this man came out of nowhere uh. and he just saved the day and so i wasn't going to tell anyone but it was such a great spiritual lesson and something to celebrate and and what had happened was um i was walking my dog and out of the corner of my eyes saw this older woman probably upwards of 70 just like you want to tell me yeah fuck it (laughs) because it's no actually you know what okay you know what i'm not going to tell you what i'm going to tell you is 
I saw someone get hurt, okay? Yeah. So I don't have to text. Thank you. I am going to savor that. You know, I told a couple close friends because it was something to celebrate, but I saw someone just randomly get hurt. Yeah. And, and it was so awesome because the very first thought I had was, God, what do I do? God, be with me. God, yeah. help me. Like, I immediately just, I guess maybe I was already with, you know, my conception of God as I was walking and I was present enough just say, you know, there was no fight or flight. In other words, my heart rate, and it was a, a right. really potentially dangerous. There was blood. It was yeah. bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, my heart rate didn't go up. Yeah. I didn't get afraid. I didn't try to impress anyone. I didn't have to try to figure out what to do. Right. I, you know, I didn't panic. I'm just like a fucking monk, dude. Right. And, and will, it, just, re- just willing to be used. Yeah, Use but me. yeah. And it, it was just so, I was just like, it was such a sweet experience for me. Not so much for the person who was hurt, but yeah. uh, ultimately, I guess, because I was involved, uh, it probably was better. But it was so cool to see that my primary reaction wasn't like, well, I better look the other way and keep walking. I don't want to get involved. Or it wasn't like, I'm afraid, or I don't know what to or do. I have to or save this person. It's on me. Or, yeah, you know, there was just no bullshit. It was just like, God, give me the appropriate response yeah. here. And uh, and the appropriate response was given, and it was miraculous to watch from kind of a witness yeah. space. I'm yeah. watching my personality, my my personhood, my words, my deeds take place from almost outside of myself. Yeah. And then... I walked away. That's and beautiful. I, yeah, it was really cool. I was totally, Thank you for sharing that. I was totally calm. I wasn't like worried. I was so... need to hear that story. I was so unattached to the outcome or my performance, you know, um, that it yeah. was just, it was just a really good affirmation that I've been doing something right and that yeah. I have a certain degree of grace that I've been able to, um, to bathe in, you know, so it's, it's, it's very cool. And, you know, in this particular case, so... You know, I mean, I'm seeing it again more from the perspective of the female because I'm still seeing, I think, that it's happening to them. But um, as you've explained, that within that space and that energy field that's being created, there's the possibility for transformation for both parties, right? Where, you know, maybe my, you know, because based on my experience, for example, of doing that one day, you know, um, workshop, uh, Oming is that, you know, there was... A lot of things taught and explained, and then there's a lab where you do it, right. you know, and there's a process by which partners select one another, and uh, and you proceed to, like, you know, touch someone's clitoris, and uh, or clitoris. I never forgot. All optional. Yeah. <laughs> touch someone's clit. Clit just sounds so nasty. I don't, I've never liked either one of those words. I hope they invent some kind of new age, like, polite way to say clit. Why? I don't know. It's just like one of those words I don't I don't like. It has sensation. Like I don't like the word yoni either. Like when people call a pussy a yoni, I'm yeah. like, I don't know. No, we're all, we're 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 a, we're a, we're a <laughs> pussy camp. Yeah. So uh, no offense if you're a yoni fan, whatever you want to call it, who gives a shit? But um, you know what was interesting is that I used that whole day as an inner transformation, and that's the whole purpose I signed up, the whole purpose I went, yeah. and I purposefully went by myself. Yeah. I didn't bring a safety net buddy. Well, it would have right. been creepy, I think. I felt at least to show up with another guy, yeah. uh, you know, but... It all depends on, I think, just like the story you're telling, I think intention has a lot to do with it. There you go. So my intention was, I want to go do something really socially fucking awkward and uncomfortable for myself because you know it's weird i'm an extrovert but at the same time i do have a degree of social anxiety that i really have to work through in crowds and situations like that it's it's weird anyway i thought this is a great opportunity for me to do something uncomfortable and thereby become more comfortable with who i am and and my you know just my intimacy with people and closeness and just being open and 
vulnerable and receptive and mm. uh and i was transformed by the experience now in retrospect looking back not just on the actual practice where like you know i'm in position i've got my 15 minutes and i'm right you know doing my best to kind of follow the, the directives and, sure. and handle my shit but the whole experience at large was just being vulnerable and not having to be cool and be guarded right. and and do things right and be funny and be smart and right. all that just all right that shit you. you know so it's like it was interesting too just as i'm as i'm processing it with you is that my reaction to that whole day was totally different than it would have been years ago right once we once we don't avert our eyes or whatever's coming, whether it seems just less interesting or downright painful or uncomfortable or whatever it is, when it's not giving it to us in the way that we expect it, that's when we can actually wake up. Yeah, I abs- I totally get that. I'm thinking of so many different practices I've had from Vedic meditation to Kundalini yoga. I mean, just on and on and on. And there definitely are periods where, you know, you get that first hit. You're like, oh my God, you know, right. stuff's changing. And it hooks sp- you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had this exact experience where you're having these epiphanies and these awakenings and just these insights. And then there are periods where it seem seemingly has gone flat and it's gone dull. And though, and, and this is ah, so good. Those have been the times just for whatever reason. I mean, I, I lack discipline in so many areas of my life, but when it comes to spiritual pursuit, like I don't fuck around, you know, I'm just, I'm there and I'm all in. And, uh, I, for some reason, I've been lucky enough in most cases to just persevere, even though I'm not getting the fruits, so yeah. to speak. Like, yeah. even if it's just reading certain spiritual literature that sure. I used to read, and it's like, God, I'm not getting those those nuggets and those insights and these awakenings, and it's just becoming flat. And you know what? I just fucking do it anyway. Yeah. And then there comes a time where, you know, it meets you on a different level where you are, and you can go deeper and deeper with it. And I think that's that's one of the things that's so fascinating about any type of spiritual pursuit is yeah. that like with that dedication and determination, it comes back and meets you along the trail, yeah. right? It's like, as you go up to a higher elevation, you feel like it's left you. And this is with God. I mean, yeah. in general, right? Yeah. It's like, man, I really was having these sort of spiritual experiences doing X, Y, Z. And I felt the presence of, you know, my right. creator, or whatever you want to call it. And then right. like, he left me. And this is, you know, the old Christian saints, their stories are you know, God has, uh, they were for, me forlorn. Whatever. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you know, where has God gone? It's like, no, God didn't go anywhere. Right. Just, the sun never sets genius. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just having a different experience with my perception of it, but it's still there. In other words, the, the evolution of my, uh, of my growth is still present. I'm just experiencing it in ways that are sometimes more exciting, sometimes more dull. But as long as I, I persevere and I persist, right. I eventually am going to be rewarded in ways that I can't even begin to um, foresee now, you know? Well, and I I think it goes back to like, um, you know, we're, we're never serving spirit. It's always serving us. You know, no matter, no matter what we, how much we think we're owed from the beyond realm that would give us something. It's like, no, no, no. It's been serving us. It's where we came from. You know, it's our source. It's like, it never stops serving ever i love that and on that note eli that's a really great time to end the show before we go on for three hours but that's a beautiful place thank you for that one of my favorite teachers david hawkins you know uses a great but very simple analogy that you know as you said the sun is always there it's just at times there are clouds blocking the sun and that you know there's techniques and tools and moments of grace in which the the clouds part and then you see the sun but it's always there 
I love that. So what I'd like to do is get three recommendations of teachers, teachings, books that have been transformative for you. Who are your go-to gurus and experts? Well, it's a good question. Um, I mean, so first of all, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll toss out my teacher, Nicole Daydone. You know, she's the founder of One Taste. Um, she wrote a great book called uh, Slow Sex, The Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm. Um, she's amazing. She's got a lot of stuff on YouTube um, and teaches a, an intensive program at One Taste and a bunch of other things that are... are Which I want to do, by the yeah, way. Yeah, the intensive is 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 <laughs> sick. When I heard her speak, I was like, I'm in, whatever that is. I think I actually came home and looked it up and, you know, it's it's on my my bucket list now. Yeah, she, yeah. Was, she was amazing. Yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of information out there about the intensive, but if, you, if, you, if you're listening and you want to work directly with Nicole, it's the way to do it. Um, you can contact us. Um, so Nicole... And then, um, you know, Zen was sort of my first love in a lot of ways. And um, I haven't been as affected by a Zen book um, as I was a gentleman named Brad Warner, who I count as a friend, um, wrote a book called Hardcore Zen, which I was in kind of a low point when I read it, but it kind of changed my life in a way. Um, he he really nails um, like just the 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 essence of zen teaching in a way that i think all westerners can really understand and it was i think arguably i i read it when i was probably 25 or something i i think that's really the first time i really got it you know <laughs> it's like it's like reading his book and it, it was fantastic i saw it. hardcore zen is huge my third teacher is an album musical album by a band called the black crows and it's an album called The Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. Amazing. Love and it. And it's taught me so much. That's really cool. That's funny. I think you're the first person that's mentioned an album. And I love that. I remember right when that came out, there was a um, a band in LA in the early 90s called Burning Tree. And their oh, gu- yeah. guitarist was a guy by the name of Mark, Mark Ford, Ford, who's like... yeah. He was like a Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of just, you know. I'm uh, Mark Ford, Black Crows. I'm, re- I'm, a, I'm a Fordist as they Cool, as they cool. Say. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, just ridiculous. And and then that band broke up and shortly after, or maybe that's why, I can't remember how it went down, but yeah, he joined the Black Crows and it was like, yes, because their first album was cool. You know, it was like blues rock kind of, southern right. rock kind of thing. But then when he joined that band, like poof, that yeah. album was just fantastic. Off the charts. I agree. I, I agree. And it, it's funny for me, it was, uh, I was thinking about this just yesterday because I'm, I'm gearing up to retroactively record podcast 001, which is where I kind of introduce myself and the show. And right. I have to figure out what my story is, you know, in a concise way. And one of the biggest turning points in my life was hearing um, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? Just as a kid, just... My mom used to clean my uncle's house in exchange for him uh, babysitting me when she worked at night. And so she would be running the vacuum. And that was like the only time I could just fucking crank music (laughs) up, you know, like more louder than a kid should be allowed. And and I was like, what was the album? And I really, I think it was the Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? That'll do it, man. Yeah. And, you know, old school, like turntable, great, like probably tube, you know, tube amp and just like really great stereo, like 70s stereo equipment and mind blown. Yeah. And that was like my first connection with, with God and spirit, I think really was Jimi Hendrix, man. man. So, so thank you for right there with you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for adding that. I mean, it's like, God, if music isn't spirit, what is it? I mean, good music is just such a representation of, of a, a human being's interpretation of something beyond being human. Thank you. Absolutely. So Eli, in closing, let us know the URLs, social media, et cetera, where we can find you and your work. Yeah, you can find us uh, in a bunch of different ways. <clears throat> we are uh, on Twitter at One Taste. 
Um, we are at onetaste.us. Um, and then if you want to locate me, um, I've got a site, which is Eli Block, E-L-I-B-L-O-C-K.com. Might be going away soon, but for the moment it's on. And then um, email, if you're curious about anything that we offer at One Taste. I'm, I'm actually a good person to talk to if, you're, if you are interested. I can route you in the right direction, um, which is just Eli, E-L-I, at onetaste.us. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a really enlightening talk. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. What a great way to end our 10 episodes and 10 days Lifestylist podcast launch. Really fun to have Eli here in the studio. I think we covered some pretty interesting territory there, and I'm hoping that you enjoyed it. We covered a lot of stuff, so I'd like to remind you to go ahead and get your episode upgrade, which is a download for you for free, featuring all of the links, resources, and everything that we talked about in this episode, as well as my featured favorites, which amount to all of my most recent discoveries that I can't wait to share with you. So in order to get this week's episode upgrade, all you have to do is text LIFESTYLIST10 to the number 44222. So text LIFESTYLIST10 to the phone number 44222. Or you can just put lukestory.com forward slash LIFESTYLIST10 in your browser and you get that for free. So just pause this right now and send your text and get that upgrade. And once you're done with that, make sure you go into iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. We love to get your feedback and it's a great way to support the show. I'd also like to remind you to catch us next week for episode 11 featuring Tony Wrighton as we discuss how to brainwash yourself using NLP. I'd like to take a moment to give a big shout out to livinglibations.com. This is where I personally get my face serums, lotions, natural deodorant that actually works and doesn't smell disgusting. It's amazing. It's called Poetic Pits. And where I, of course, get all of my tooth and gum and self-dentistry products. Living Libations is amazing. You can also get a whole suite of essential oils there that you can use for a number of different uses. And the best part of all, of course, is that I've got a sweet discount code for you for 10%. So go to livinglibations.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, and you will save 10%. 